Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. November 1 edition of the PFT PM Podcast. Thanks, as always, for joining us. It's the 16th anniversary of the launch of ProFootballTalk.com. November 1, 2001. And in honor of that, although I really didn't think of it until after we booked the interview, my internet son, who is now trying to adjust that to make me feel even older, PFT commenter, whose real name I know, and one of these days I'm going to be sufficiently senile that I blurt it out. But for now, PFT commenter will be joining us coming up in about, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. I want to talk about a few things happening in the NFL before we play the interview. And then I've got one other topic to discuss after we hear from PFT commenter. I almost just said his name. I resist calling him PFT. Everybody calls him PFT. I'm PFT. He's PFT commoner. I'm willing to concede that. I'm not willing to concede PFT. And and that will be my excuse when I eventually disclose his real name that my resistance to call him PFT caused me to subconsciously say his real name. Okay, I can say the name is Ezekiel Elliott for yet another edition of the PFT PM podcast because his case is still in the news because he has now filed an appeal with the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit. And this is normal. This is natural. I know there's nothing that seems normal or natural about this case, but there was a lawsuit filed by the NFL in federal court in New York City. The judge there has denied a preliminary injunction, meaning that Ezekiel Elliott's suspension will not be delayed while the case goes forward. He could still, in theory, win the case, although I don't think he will, at least if this judge keeps the case. And if he wins... He will have served his six-game suspension unless he gets the appeals court to intervene. Now, the problem is that's the same court that gave the NFL a slam-dunk ruling in the Tom Brady case. And that makes it very difficult for Elliott to win in this case. But, but, you got to keep this in mind. Of all the judges assigned to the Second Circuit, there's at least 20. Three of them will be randomly assigned to the case. And if two of them agree with the NFL Players Association and Elliott, he gets his injunction. And the one big flaw in the ruling that was issued on Monday night is that there was no conversation, no evaluation, no analysis of the question of whether or not Ezekiel Elliott will suffer irreparable harm by missing games. The judge simply said the NFLPA failed to prove that Ezekiel Elliott will suffer irreparable harm, and that's it. No analysis, no discussion. And that becomes significant because there have been multiple players over the past decade or so who have won preliminary injunctions, lost the case like Brady did, but won the injunction because... This whole process of freezing the status quo. It's like, let's let everything sort out in court and let's keep it where it is while we sort everything out. Because if we don't, then your victory is just meaningless. You get your game checks. Big deal. You don't get to play in the games. And playing in the games is a big part of why these guys are playing in the National Football League. So we should have an answer by Friday. Now, the problem is that the Second Circuit is going to move at its own speed. And unless it decides to move quickly, unless it decides 
to go along with the request by the NFLPA to get this thing done, Elliott will miss Sunday's game against the Kansas City Chiefs. And then he would have five more that he would miss at some point in the future, in theory. So that's where it stands. That's the simplest possible way to explain it, and we'll see what happens. Elliott plays for the Cowboys. Jerry Jones owns the Cowboys. And Jerry Jones has been not happy with Commissioner Roger Goodell in recent months. And he has some company. Papa John is not happy with the commissioner, with the National Football League. An earnings report conference call, November 1, the quarter ended, quarter 3, Papa John's lost money, and Papa John's is blaming it on the ongoing decline in NFL ratings because as fewer people watch football, fewer people see ads for Papa John's, fewer people are gathering to watch football, so they're not buying pizza from Papa John's. And John Schnatter is not happy about it. Boy, nothing screams pizza like the name Schnatter. <laughs> I mean, the guy's had tremendous success, and I'm just having some fun here. But as an Italian, you can be a little snobby about your Italian food. And I, 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 Schnatter is not a guy. Between Schnatter and a guy with a vowel at the end of his name, I'm going to pick the guy at the vowel at the end of his name. He should have changed his name. See, there was a period of time where when people immigrated to the country, they changed their name from the Italian-sounding name to something that would sound Americanized. Now, if you're going to sell pizza, maybe you should change your name to something that has a vowel at the end. That's all I'm saying. Just Schnattero. Just put an O on the end. John Schnattero. I'll buy the pizza. I've had Papa John's pizza. I'm not trying to squander the opportunity to get a Papa John's endorsement here. I try all sorts of pizza. There's no such thing as bad pizza. So... Before I make it any worse, let me just say, Papa John is not happy with the NFL and had some strong comments. Good or bad, leadership starts at the top, and this is an example of poor leadership. This should have been nipped in the bud a year and a half ago, and of course, that's reference to the anthem controversy, and there are people around the league who believe it. There are people who are upset with Jed York because he didn't say to Colin Kaepernick, you will stand for the anthem. But I think at some point, while this problem was merely on simmer, that's when the commissioner should have stepped in. And people will say, well, he didn't realize what was going to happen until the president made the son-of-a-bitch remark, get that son-of-a-bitch off the field that Friday night before week three in Alabama at a campaign rally, even though it's three years until the next election. Before that, I think that someone, and I don't say you have to be paranoid, I think someone with the reasonable ability to formulate an assessment of a worst-case scenario could have looked at the combination of the kneeling, things that Donald Trump had already said, Donald Trump's history with the NFL, and realized at some point, if this isn't removed from the game, the commander-in-chief is going to do something, say something, tweet something about it. I don't think it takes someone with the ability to foresee the future to realize that the risk was there. And that's all the more reason to get this problem solved before it becomes a huge problem. Solve your small problems before they become huge problems. And that's where the commissioner failed. Now, the commissioner has many strengths, but when it comes to that, anticipating problems, and look, it's hard to blame him. I mean, you're the captain of a ship that is sailing through open water. That was the big criticism of the commissioner when the Ray Rice fiasco hit the fan three years ago. The first time the NFL had to deal with a rocky situation and the commissioner was in the middle of it, there were a lot of people saying, well, just get a new commissioner. I mean, how hard is it to steer the SSNFL? They're printing money. 
It's the most popular sport in the country by far. Everything is great. And then in the aftermath of that, you had Mark Cuban with his prescient pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. And I think we're seeing the hog get not necessarily slaughtered, but it's getting a limb amputated. And John Schnatter becomes the first corporate CEO, which is a partner of the NFL, to come out and say something's got to change. And when that happens, that gets the attention. And Jerry Jones' attention already has been gotten. This gives him ammunition when he calls up his peers and says, we got to do something about this commissioner. We're paying him too much money. We need to, and I think what Jerry Jones wants to do is drive such a hard bargain with Roger Goodell that he says, I'm out. That he self-selects, as they say. It's a fancy word for quits. Under pressure. Feeling the heat. Knowing that the axe is coming at some point. Knowing that they really don't want you. And I don't know how the rest of the owners feel. But boy, Jerry Jones really doesn't want him. You can feel it. You can sense it. He doesn't want him. And at what point do you decide, life's too short for this crap. I've made my $200 million. I'll be fine. My kids will be fine. Their kids will be fine. I'm out. I'm going to go do consulting. I'm going to go do, I don't know what he could do. He can do anything he wants. Nothing's going to pay him $40 million a year, though. Just enjoy life, right? Peyton Manning, he made $200 million. Just enjoy life. You don't have to do anything. So this is getting ugly and uglier for the commissioner. And I don't know where the the low point is. I don't know if there's a critical mass. I just don't know. But it's definitely something that is worth paying attention to. Speaking of things that keep getting uglier, the the San Francisco 49ers, they are as bad as the Cleveland Browns. But the Cleveland Browns right now, they can't get out of their own way with this A.J. McCarron failed trade. This was something that popped up late Thursday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, get my day screwed up, late Tuesday afternoon at the trade deadline. News came out that the Browns had nearly consummated a trade for quarterback A.J. McCarron, a day after Jimmy Garoppolo was traded to the 49ers. So, okay, it almost happened. Well, they just weren't able to reach a deal. No, it turns out they reached a deal, and the Browns had failed to properly communicate the deal to the NFL. And then at one point last night, the Browns started pushing this idea that they did everything that they needed to do, that they sent signed paperwork to the Bengals, who then were supposed to sign that paperwork and send it to the league. But the Bengals simply signed separate paperwork that hadn't been signed by the Browns and sent that to the league, so the league didn't receive notice from both of the teams that the trade had been done. And on the surface, that made sense. But when you understand how business gets done in the NFL, it makes no sense. Because the way trades are done, and I've talked to five Now it's six because people are reaching out to me saying, oh, yeah, I've been following this. By the way, the Browns are just full of crap on this. So I keep spontaneously hearing from people around the league about this situation. The teams independently send in notice to the commissioner. I'm looking at the player personnel manual right here. Upon agreeing to a trade, clubs shall exchange written messages of the terms and conditions after which both clubs are required to notify the commissioner in writing of such terms and conditions. So... What that means is you have email communications between the two teams as to the terms. Here's our offer. Do you accept? Yes, I do. We have a deal. Then the two teams independently communicate to the league office that we have a trade. It's like the, 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 you know, the missile 
you see it in a, in a movie, the box with the two keys, and each person has to put in the key and turn it before the missile launches. That's what you have to do. Each team has to send in the notice, and then the league looks at it. Here's a notice from one team saying, here's the terms of the trade, here's the notice from the other team, and if they match, the trade's official. A team that reached out to me this afternoon said, keep this in mind, too. This can be done simply by separately email. Just an email to the league saying, we have a trade and these are the terms. You, you have 15 days to submit formal trade papers. And those papers have to match the emails. But as long as the emails come separately from the teams and the terms are the same, the deal is done. That's all that's what needed to happen. So either the Browns, who have done plenty of other trades, suddenly forgot in a fit of incompetence how to do a trade, or, or, and this is where it gets interesting, Hugh Jackson wanted A.J. McCarron because Hugh Jackson knows he needs to win X number of games to save his ass, and A.J. McCarron knows his offense, and A.J. McCarron comes in and has a better chance of saving Hugh's ass than Deshaun Kaiser does, or Kevin Hogan, or Cody Kessler, and somebody else higher up in the organization decided, well, you know what? Chances are ownership isn't going to get rid of everybody, so if they're going to just get rid of somebody, then uh, we don't need A.J. McCarron saving Hugh Jackson's ass. Let Hugh Jackson be the one who gets fired and will accidentally fail to get this trade done. And, And it is encouraging to think that the Browns would be capable of executing a strategy, formulating the strategy, and then actually making it work. But man, that's not a good look. Either way, it's a bad look. Either they have no idea or suddenly forgot how to do a trade, or they deliberately did this to torpedo the effort to help save Hugh Jackson. And and they compound it by pushing the idea that what they did was right. They're still pushing it. They're still pressing. Now, that was as of 10 a.m. today. I haven't heard anything since then. Because my position was, hey, anybody out there that wants to give me any information that would suggest that what I've heard from five different teams, now six different teams, is inaccurate, let me know. But for now, it's hard to get six teams in the NFL to agree on anything. I got six different teams saying, here's how trades get done. There's no, you sign paperwork and send it to the other team, and then they sign the paperwork, and the paperwork signed by both teams goes to the NFL. That's not how it works. It's never how it works. So something's weird about this. Something's very weird about it. Something's weird about the Carolina Panthers situation. And, and the Fritz Pollard Alliance's position on this interim GM hire of Marty Herney. And I like Marty Herney. I, I just, I, I've got an issue when there are rules and when rules aren't followed and when the entity that's in place to ensure that the rules are enforced just goes along with the rules not being followed. After Dave Gettleman was fired as GM of the Panthers, Marty Herney was hired as the interim GM through a process that did not comply with the Rooney Rule. And the Fritz Pollard Alliance, John Wooten, the executive director, the chairman of the alliance, his position was, we're fine with that. It's an interim GM hire. We're fine with that. Well, now, it comes out that Herney is signed through the draft. So it's not just end of season. It's through the draft. And the Fritz Pollard Alliance is fine with that. They're fine with it. Wooten said, we didn't want to bring up a discussion about it. We allow interim head coaches to be present all the time. Why wouldn't we allow an interim general manager? The problem is the GM was fired before the season. This is a hell of a loophole. I mean, 
could you fire your head coach in May and just hire an interim guy without complying with the Rooney rule? And, and here, here's the other thing, too. How hard is it to comply with the Rooney rule? How, how hard is it to give a good faith interview to a minority candidate? How hard is that? And, and it's amazing to me. And this has been lingering for years now. The red state, blue state, take politics out of football crowd always reacts. Oh, how, no employer should be told what to do. Well, you know, there's something called the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that would beg to differ. Because employers are told what to do. Employers are prohibited from discriminating on the basis of race, gender, age, religion, and national origin. And states have different rights. Employees who have engaged in certain protected activities, like making a complaint to a safety agency, OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. If there's a hazard in the workplace and the employee complains internally or externally and they get fired, that's an exception to the concept of at-will employment. Plenty of people out there who have never been fired from their jobs who will puff out their chest and say, well, an employer can do whatever the hell they want, unless they do it to me. But you can do whatever the hell you want to do as an employer. No, that's not how it works. And the NFL has a rule requiring at least one minority candidate to be interviewed for every coaching vacancy and high-level front office vacancy like general manager. And it's just like, oh, well, the hell with it. Oh, yeah, we know that's the rule, but the hell with it. Well, what the, what's the point of having the rule? And what's the value of the Fritz Pollard Alliance? And, and part of me, as I'm saying this, is thinking, if the guy who runs the Fritz Pollard Alliance doesn't care, then I shouldn't care. But you know what? He should care. Why doesn't he care? Why is he going along? What's he getting from the league? Do we need to explore the financing of the Fritz Pollard Alliance to see what is being relied upon? What kind of quid pro quo is in place? What kind of wink, wink, nod, nod is happening to get the Fritz Pollard Alliance to look the other way on what seems to be clear violations? Why am I the only one who cares? And my point is this. It demeans the business. It, oh, protect the shield. We got to protect the shield. It hurts the shield to have rules that you just ignore. If you have a rule, follow it. If you're not going to follow it, change the rule. If you're going to completely ignore it, get rid of the rule. That's how any responsible, professional, and successful organization is run. And is it a shock that after years of, I don't want to say chaos, but plenty of examples of inconsistencies, unfairness, arrogance, stridence, mean-spiritedness from the NFL... And I mean the league office. I don't mean the NFL. I Look, I got into this business 16 years ago today because I grew up as a huge fan of the NFL. You see that shield and you think, yeah, I love the NFL. I had that electric football game when I was a kid with the shield painted in the middle. I love that shield and everything that it stands for. It's been part of my life for 45 years now. But that doesn't mean I can't say that the people who are currently in charge of it need to be held accountable when they screw up need to be held accountable when they have rules they don't follow, need to be held accountable when they're not fair to their employees and think they don't have to be fair. That's the most amazing aspect of this Ezekiel case. Their position is we don't have to be fair. We can do whatever we want. We've bargained for the right to be unfair. Okay, and you wonder why. You wonder why you're having business issues. Because sooner or later, your customers start looking at it saying, I don't like these people. I don't like what they stand for. I don't like how they conduct themselves. I'm just not going to care anymore. You know, different things get us to a point where we don't care anymore. I got to a point with baseball, thanks to the fact that the Pittsburgh Pirates, after the 1992 season, when somehow, somehow, 
Sid Bream scored from second on a routine single. I knew they were going to be dismantled. I knew Barry Bonds was going to be gone. Bob Benilla was going to be gone. I knew they were going to be bad for years. And I just checked out. I'm done. Call me a fair weather fan. I don't care. I'll be back when the weather's fair. I'm going to go hide in a hole while this team stinks for the next two decades. Plus. Different things get you to check out. And for the NFL, a lot of people are, I don't know if they're, I don't know how much of it is the anthem controversy. I don't know how much of it is fatigue. I don't know how much of it is a sense. And, and here's the thing. You can't go around alienating fan bases by being heavy handed and unfair. You destroy the Saints season in 2012 with the bounty scandal. You destroy the, and it didn't destroy the Patriots season because the year it came up, they won the Super Bowl. The year the suspension was served, they won the Super Bowl, but still. The attack on Tom Brady, that doesn't make people happy. I just, I don't know. I've said my piece. Ben McAdoo. Boy, I know the Giants have this process where they don't fire coaches, they don't fire GMs very often. And Ben McAdoo's trying to downplay the fact that he's had two different players now that have been suspended for conduct detrimental to the team. All things like this happen. How often does somebody get suspended for conduct detrimental to the team? It happens twice a year, maybe, among 32 teams. To happen twice in one year for one team, a team that has one win, I just don't think that Ben McAdoo has the personality, has the, I don't know, I guess I'll stick with personality. I'll throw in hairdo to be a successful NFL coach. You set aside the X's and O's. The most important thing about being an NFL head coach is the ability to walk into that locker room and you start speaking and every guy in there listens. And that doesn't mean you go in and start yelling and screaming. Tony Dungy right now could walk into any locker room in the NFL. And Tony Dungy is reserved. He's quiet. He's soft-spoken. If he would walk into a locker room, and he would say, hey, you know, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm here to replace your coach for the rest of the year. You'd hear a pin drop. You have to have that ability, the ability to lead men, the ability to take over the room, the ability to get players from a broad cross-section of society, a wide variety of backgrounds and upbringings to listen to you and do what you want them to do and motivate them to come together for the greater good. And I don't think Ben McAdoo has it. And if, hey, if I'm wrong, Ben, prove me wrong. But I don't think he has it. Well, we made it to the playoffs last year. Okay. What's going on this year? I just don't think he has it. And it's an issue of creating the right relationships, the right interactions, and ultimately being able to take over the room. And, and I just, he, he, he's not controlling his team. And that comes back to him. Ultimately, it comes back to him. All right, I'm going to take a break. Well, I'm not going to take a break. This isn't the morning show. This is PFTPM. We're going to do now, as promised, our conversation with my internet son, who now tries to claim he's my internet grandson, on the 16th anniversary of the founding of ProFootballTalk.com. Here is my discussion with PFT Commenter. Okay, it's the 16th anniversary of the launch of ProFootballTalk.com, and I guess... PFT would be Happy Days, and the next guy is Laverne and Shirley, the spinoff of the website. He is PFT Commenter. I know his name, and I try very hard never to use it. So PFT, as they call you, even though that pisses me off, welcome to the program. That was very topical. You, you threw in a Laverne and Shirley and a Happy Days reference in the first, like, five seconds. So that'll play well with the podcast audience. We've taught you well, Mike. 
But but here's the thing. I can't think of any other TV show that had a spinoff. Can you? I, I guess well, Young Sheldon. Yeah, Are you I mean, Young there, Sheldon? There are a few. Frasier and Cheers. Well, that's oh, that's timely. Well, it's about 15 years more timely. But I was actually <laughs> just thinking of this. Um, I refer to you as my internet dad sometimes, but really you're kind of you're my internet grandfather because it was your baby, the website, um, that spawned me, making me like your grandbaby from from. I guess uh, ProFootballTalk.com being my dad. And um, I, I said this to you earlier, but I want to say it for your listeners. This is a very important milestone for ProFootballTalk.com. It's 16 years old, meaning it can drive a car, meaning it can get into a crash with Terry Bradshaw and kill his life. Thank you. Thanks. You know, I'd forgotten that that was coming. And <laughs> look, hey, I, I, I've, I've, talked, I've talked enough about Terry Bradshaw over the years. And here's all I'll say about our... Incorrect report of Terry Bradshaw being dead. Eventually, it will be right. Yep. Okay, so I, 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 I've, I'm going to interview you. You've interviewed me before, and you interview a lot of people, and you have a very popular podcast with Barstool Big Cat. Pardon my take. How did the PFT commenter persona come to be? What was the inspiration that caused you to say, I'm going to create this Twitter account that uh, is called PFT commenter? I think, well, you know, obviously it was the comment section of your website, um, it was around the time of the last CBA when, uh, when people were kind of taking sides, and there were some real hot takes going on. Um, people were banging it there for all the latest rumors and news uh, in the NFL, and the uh, thumbs-up, thumbs-down ratios were going wild. I don't know if you keep track of who is the all-time leader of thumbs-up, but I'm pretty sure for a time I was. Uh, and I just wanted to, I wanted to take that to another medium and uh, bring the comment section uh, to the top of the page, so I decided that I would be a blogger um, who was just a commenter. So that we get getting the most important stuff right up at the top, and then everything okay. else at the bottom. You know, it can be what it is. Did you comment at the website under the name PFT Commenter, or did you have a different handle? I have left a couple comments as PFT Commenter on the website. Um, I I don't think that I've ever commented on under another name. I think just having that having two identities is enough for me. Well, and I think you have three identities because you've got PFT Commenter, you've got your real name, and then you've got your fake name that you tell people. Are there other identities we don't know about? No, I think those are my only aliases. Although I was out for dinner the other day and I said I really wish – I was talking to somebody and I was talking about how cool aliases were because I thought of a really good alias. This, just between me and you, don't tell anybody this, but if you ever get into some trouble or you need a good – like a fake name to come up with, John Alston is a great – fake name to come up with. So I was, I was at dinner, I came up with John Alston out of somewhere, and then I, I told someone that um, I really wish, you know, aliases are, are so cool, I wish I could live my life under an alias. And the person just looked at me and they were like, are you serious? Okay, is there a joke you, here you I'm missing? This? I, I've, t I've got a feeling that John Alston is something I should be getting, but I don't get it. Am I no, missing something? No, there's, there's no inside joke there at all. It's just like, I think that's <laughs> yeah. a phenomenal alias if you want to use one. Yeah, okay. Now I'm going to have to Google John Alston and figure out exactly what you're referring to. Because my references, my ability to make references, I guess ended when Seinfeld went off the air. Anything after that, I completely and totally miss. Who's funnier, you or Big Cat? I, I don't think I'm in a good position to answer that. I think that if, if we're going to be serious, um, we are, we're both very good at very different things. So um, we complement each other pretty well. And the, our, our interviewing style, our, our dialogue works together because we're not the same person. We're not, like, making each other's jokes all the time. We're not delivering things in the same style. We kind of we have a good back and forth, 
It's a good partnership. So I think if you pulled, you know, a uh, thousand people, you would get probably close somewhere in the neighborhood of a 50-50 split. That's just that. That's my opinion. Are you guys competitive, like with your tweets, like who gets more retweets and favorites? Or uh, likes or whatever the hell yeah. it is now. Some, well, we we're we're going to have a competition to see who can get the fewest amounts of retweets and favorites, and <laughs> we have we're like workshopping through ideas of what the worst possible tweets that we can put out there are, and and I think give me one, re- give me one. Okay, um, I saw the new Adam Sandler movie on Netflix. It was all right. <laughs> okay, well that's that's not bad. I would not retweet or or like that one. Right. It was that's somewhat good. windy today. Yeah, I think that would qualify as well. Hey, here's the thing about the two of you. You guys are both funny, but there's no straight man. Do you ever, like, play straight man to him and he plays straight man to you? Or it's just you guys are independently funny and it and it comes together, it, like, careens together and it just clicks? Well, first of all, it's 2016. You don't need a straight man when you do anything. So um, right off the bat, <laughs> let's not be problematic. But I think that you bring up a good point, and that's our, our style of comedy is not really traditional. Um, a lot of times we just like to use the person that we're interviewing as a straight person um, and kind of bounce off of them. Sometimes if, if we're interviewing someone, they, uh, they kind of fall into the part of my take zone when they try to, you know, they, they try to put out hot takes and, and wild theories and, and try to joke around. It can be Timely funny, references. But that's when it's, it sometimes becomes too much. You're really good, Mike, at never, ever being funny at all or saying <laughs> anything remotely amusing, so it's always a good interview. <laughs> Yeah. Also, that's why I'm I'm one of your favorite recurring guests because I'm not funny at all, and it doesn't infringe upon you and Big Cat being funny. Correct. You make us look great. That's also I, why we like. I'm not. I don't want to say his name, but that's why we like um, interviewing Ian Rappaport because he's he's so short that he makes me look tall. How did you guys end up being Team Rappaport versus Team Shefty or Team P Boy, as the case may be? Uh, we, we are Team Florio. We said that, um, I, I said that yesterday when we did speak with Ian Rapapois. Um, I'm Team Florio. I have, I have an allegiance to my internet dad or grandfather, however you want to look at it. Uh, we just, we like to needle Schefter a little bit because he's about, he's usually like five seconds slower than Rapaport when it comes to regurgitating press releases, um, for like, uh, you know, some, some no-name guy got got traded for like a conditional seventh rounder or something like that. Rappaport will usually have him beat by a couple of seconds, and so he just like to bust his balls for being slow with the thumbs. Oh, and you know that drives him crazy. He acts like it doesn't, but deep down it drives him nuts. Right. Yeah. There's a there's a it tempest. Does. There's a tempest under the under the, uh, the 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 smile with him. Yes. Anyone who's gotten to the point where they're making you know millions of dollars a year or however much uh, Schefter's making um, has to have some cutthroat. In his, in his system, so I guarantee you that that does not sit well. And he had Big Cat blocked for about three years for calling him P-Boy. Um, so I, the best way I get at him is I just try to reply to his tweets and get uh, more people to engage on my tweets than his original one. Speaking of income, how much are you making now? Ooh, good question. Um, I get paid in... It's tough to say because I, I mostly get paid <laughs> in gift cards. In what? Gift cards. Yeah. <laughs> so See, I, I learned to ask that James, question. If that's, I, they, they make Mad Dog, or if it's just I get paid in product that we advertise. So I have, um, I have unlimited um, amounts of underwear and uh, ads that I can put up at ZipRecruiter.com. So I'm eating pretty high on the hog right now. I learned that question from listening to a couple of Big J journos and their podcast, because you'll ask people from time to time how much money they make. And I thought, well, that must be an appropriate question. If you guys are asking it, I'll start asking it too. 
yeah, how much money? How much money do you make? Who did you vote for? Is a really good one. Um, <laughs> we almost got J.J. Watt to answer that, and he he started to, and he was like, "Nice try. I'm not going to fall for that." But um, that's that's a, r- a real hot button one that's going to get some clicks if you get that out of somebody. Hey, J.J. Watt was your white whale for a while. You guys finally interviewed him. Who's the one now that you're trying really hard to get, but you just can't get, and you're obsessed with getting that person? Um, I mean, there are some football coaches out there that we would love to interview. Uh, Belichick, Saban. Oh, God, he'll never do it. Belichick will never do it. you got a better shot with Saban. I, I disagree. I think that Belichick might do it someday. I think we know enough people around Belichick that he might be convinced to do it. Um, I would also like to interview Tom Sula. Uh, the ultimate football guy, but I think they've got him like they've got him stored in um, probably cold storage in D.C. They just like take him off the practice field and they they put his body in a cryogenic chamber and just kind of chill him out overnight so he can calm down a little bit and send him out the next day. Um, Tom Sulu would be great. Um, trying to think anybody out. Oh, uh, Bruce Arians and uh, Pete Carroll I think would be another good interview. I think Arians okay. is the most likely. Of the guys you listed, Arians is the most likely to do it. Maybe Pete Carroll if you get him in the right spot. Saban, because to be an effective college football coach, you gotta, you, 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 you got to be able from time to time to take a step back and do something that the kids can relate to. I, I think Belichick, I, I'd be shocked. I'll be very impressed if you guys can get Belichick. Very impressed. We'll get I, him. I, I, right. I think eventually we're going to get him. Um, he might hate ESPN as much as we do right now, so we have that to bond over. Um, I would like to interview... Coach O, obviously, down at LSU, and that's going to happen eventually. We just he is uh, he's a busy guy, so he's tough to nail down. He's drinking his Red Bulls. He's going a mile a minute. He's uh, feeding Mike the Tiger uh, raw meat out of his bare hands. So his schedule is tough to crack. But I'm sure that we're going to get with uh, with Coach O at some point soon too. Speaking of ESPN, how mad are you? Scale of one to ten, how mad are you about what happened? I mean, real talk. Um, I'm I'm upset. I'm, uh, it was honestly like a little embarrassing how it all played out like so publicly. I thought that Big Cat and I did a, 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 a relatively good job of putting a show on the air in like four days. It was the first time that we'd ever done television. So like the actual product that we put out I thought was, was good enough um, and it was only going to get better from that point. But the way that it played out just like in all the papers and, and on you know, every sports website uh, was kind of, it was, it's, it's kind of rough. Like I get texts uh, from my mom like every day now with a link to another article about how my television show got canceled. And I'm like, thanks mom. That's cool. Yeah. I read that. Um, I'm, I think it's pretty clear that they should just never have put the show on the air in the first place. If, if they weren't going to stand behind it. And, um, I kind of wish that's the way that it went down, but you know, ultimately we proved that we were able to put a show on television. I don't think that our show was, uh, had any reason to do with the fact that it got canceled. I thought, there was nothing offensive about it. It was just kind of a fun show. Um, so I'm not embarrassed about the product that we put out, but it, it did kind of suck, and I am a little angry. But at the same time, it's allowed us to kind of get back to the podcast and focus all of our energy on that and you know, plan some fun stuff that we've got coming up here in the next couple months. You never answered the question. I said scale of 1 to 10. You didn't give me a number. Uh, scale of 1 to 10. Uh, good, good point. Um, I'll give it right now I'm at like a 6. Last Were week you? I was at like a nine, and uh, yeah, yeah, nice. Who was more upset? You were you were big cat. I think Hank. Hank just kind of laid down for a while and just kind of just stewed. Um, there is actually footage of us finding out that our show was canceled because we were filming it on Monday. We were wrapping up uh, the taping for that week, and we're in our little studio, 
and I get a phone call, and it's uh, it's Erica Nardini, the CEO here at Barstool, and I answer it on speaker. I'm like, this is weird that Erica's calling in the middle of the day, and she goes, hey, guys, I got some not-so-great news about the show, and then she proceeds to tell us while we're mic'd up in the studio. So there is some, there's some snuff films out there of, of me and Big Cat finding out, one from the studio angle, one from, like, a behind-the-scenes camera. So um, I think eventually we'll release some of that. Uh, but as far as like uh, as anything else goes with it, I think I think we'll kind of let that be. But I I would say me and Big Cat were were about equally upset about the about the whole way that it went down. We handled it in a little bit different ways. Big Cat went home and ate some ice cream and ordered some Thai food, and I got uh, blackout drunk. So you know, some people cope in different ways. So it was just like any other day for you. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, you could say that. I, and and I'm seriously real talk here to use your phrase. I can understand why you would be more upset because you were completely disconnected from the stuff that went down. Like this was pre pre me. I'm not here. This has no, this has no, no sticking to me whatsoever. How in the hell does this happen where nothing I did directly or indirectly results in this show going away? Is that a fair statement? Uh, you know, like I could see why somebody would think that, but the reality is like, I, I, I went into Barstool knowing full well that there were, people that uh, didn't like what Barstool had done in the past. So that was a, a decision that I made, and I take everything that goes along with that. And, yeah, well, I wasn't part of the actual conversation that ended up coming back uh, with the Sam Ponder issue. Like, that, that's still going to be associated with me. So I'm, I'm comfortable with that. And, you know, like, it wasn't something that made me um, any more upset because while, while I had that distance from it, Big Cat was the one who had his name out there the most that week. And, you know, they were saying initially that he wrote an article about Sam Ponder and that he said these bad things about her, when in reality it wasn't him. And so he was having to deal with that on his own, too. So that, that part was harder on him than it was on me. Um, but, again, I, I don't think that uh, I can, you know, distance myself. Barstool is my employer, and Barstool was in the name of the show. So, um, so I totally understood that. I know how you were able to process that mentally because this isn't the first time that you've had to carry blame for something that you didn't do. You get you're connected to killing Terry Bradshaw, so you had experience. <laughs> That's true. Right? Hey, also, um, it's his 16th birthday, right? Yeah. So keep it away from Mark Sanchez. That's all I'm gonna say. Now there's another timely reference. You, you could have gone a in. lot of different ways with that one, especially in light of recent <laughs> events. And I appreciate the discretion. Okay. Um, a couple more questions before I let you go, because I know you got some things to do at, at, your, at your actual job. Are you ever going to cut your hair? My father-in-law wants to know, will you ever cut your hair? Uh, yeah, I'm going to cut my hair eventually when Danny Woodhead wins the Super Bowl. So that should be, what, two months, three months? Yeah. Um, okay. Hey, he's back, right? He is back, yes. Danny is back and better than ever, I'm told. Um, and not a moment too soon, because the Ravens' offense is pretty garbage. So... Um, they're playing color rush. I don't think that Danny's going to be on the roster this week, but I think after the bye, uh, he's going to come back and probably set. He, can you be comeback player of the year for an injury that you sustained during the season? I think that could happen. I mean, you'd have to have like a couple of 200-yard games and a bunch of touchdowns. But I, there's the thing about the postseason rules of the awards, there's no rules. You can put down whoever you want for any reason you want. Like Matthew Stafford, when he won comeback player of the year, it's like, what the hell? The guy's never done anything. What's he coming back from? He, he's he's finally having a good year. He That's not comeback back player of the year. Matthew Stafford. That is yeah. <laughs> the toughest thing to battle back from of all. All right, last question. Is it the Caps year? 
It is the Caps year. Well, no, it's not. 2018 is the Caps year. So it's still 2017. Um, so I can't... Wait, I thought it was still 2016. Yeah, it just flipped over. It flipped right. over like a couple weeks ago. But um, <laughs> 20, next year, the Caps will win the Stanley Cup. Mark it in stone. It's happening. I'm very confident. All right. I, I could keep talking to you because we don't get to do this often enough. PFT Jr., otherwise known as PFT Commenter, otherwise known as two different aliases, otherwise known as John Alston. Thank it's just you. PFT now. That's what people, everybody just calls me I PFT. I don't like so that. Can... Cease and desist. I'm PFT, you son of a bitch. It's me. No, you, how quickly you forget, Mike, I gave you the rights to use No Pressure, No Diamonds, which I copyrighted after RG3 let it lapse. So we share that copyright in exchange for you sharing the PFT <laughs> copyright with me. We have that on tape, by the way. All right. That's fine. That's good. I, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. You, you, you have made the brand proud sometimes. And uh, other times, uh, you know, we, 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 we still love you. That's all thank I you. look for is my father's acceptance, so thank you. I thought, and your grandfather. See, now you're making me feel even older. I feel old enough now that I know I've been doing this 16 years, and now I'm your internet grandfather, which will make me feel even older. I guess I should make some Dick Van Dyke Show references to make myself feel younger. There you go. One of these days you'll get up to, like, Family Guy, and then you'll be really cool. All right. Thank you. All right. See you, Mike. See you. Okay, thanks again to PFT Commenter, whose name I will try my best to never disclose. It's really not an exciting name. It's more interesting than John Alston, but I'll protect his secret for as long as I possibly can. Although I think, as Pardon My Take gets more and more popular, as he gets more and more popular, as he does better and better, somebody somewhere that knows him is going to say, hey, that's so-and-so. All right. One of the favorite... NFL so-and-sos right now because plenty of fans will call him plenty of names that can be replaced with so-and-so or such-and-such is Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick's collusion case has had a very good week. A very good week. An excellent week. Here's why. Three different developments in the NFL make Colin Kaepernick's collusion case stronger. And Mark Garrigus recently said that he thinks Kaepernick will be signed within 10 days. I don't know that the NFL is going to wake up and admit that it screwed this thing up and that it started colluding in March and continues to collude against Kaepernick. But here are the three developments that make this a very good week for the collusion case. First, the A.J. McCarron bungled trade by the Browns. It's obvious the Browns are trying to upgrade the quarterback position. They tried to get A.J. McCarron and they were going to give up a second round pick and a third round pick to get him. A year ago, when Kaepernick was injured, coming off of three different surgeries, the Browns considered trading for him with the 49ers, and it didn't work out. But the Browns wanted him. Hugh Jackson wanted him because Hugh Jackson wanted him in 2011 when Jackson was the head coach of the Raiders, and Kaepernick was in the draft. The 49ers got to him before Jackson could. This year, crickets. Nothing. No interest. Shocker. And once they drafted Deshaun Kaiser... That's the point where you say, okay, they've made alternative plans at the quarterback position. They are no longer one of the teams that we look at and say they should be signing Colin Kaepernick. Well, that all changed on Tuesday when the Browns tried to get A.J. McCarron because the message to the world is they're not content with Deshaun Kaiser. They want to upgrade. Never mind the fact that that undermines the ability of Deshaun Kaiser to lead the team. And it does undermine that ability dramatically, and he should be very upset about what's going on this year. The benching, the unbenching, the rebenching, the unrebenching, and now the effort to bring in his replacement. But the point is, the Browns want to upgrade the position. So why don't you go sign Colin Kaepernick? You wanted him last year, you don't want him this year. What changed between last year and this year? Well, we know. 
The question is, is there evidence out there on cell phones, text messages, emails? Will people under cross-examination make reluctant admissions without even realizing unwitting admissions of an implicit or express agreement to shy away from him so that the president will not angry tweet anyone connected to the NFL and basically spark the fight that happened in September. The argument is the NFL collectively shied away from Kaepernick in March, April, May, June, July, and August to avoid precisely what happened in September when the commander-in-chief went after them and went after them and went after them and created a giant mess. So now that we know the Browns are interested in upgrading at quarterback, tick, 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 tick. Every passing minute, every passing hour, every passing day, it gets worse for the NFL that the Browns don't give this guy a shot. Development number two, and these are not necessarily in chronological order. The decision of the Denver Broncos to make Brock Osweiler their starting quarterback. Brock Osweiler, who the Browns cut and are paying $15.225 million because the other $775,000 is coming from the Broncos. The the Browns are paying this guy nearly $900,000 a week. He's going to start this week against the Eagles. Brock Osweiler. And the Broncos were another team that nearly traded for Colin Kaepernick in 2016. Now, I know that they have since changed their offense. But if you think enough of Kaepernick in 2016, what happens between 2016 and 2017? Well, we all know. And again, it comes back to the text messages, the emails, internally and externally, among owners, among GMs, among team presidents, among lower-level people, piecing together a tapestry of evidence that may prove the existence of at least an implied agreement among the teams to shy away from Colin Kaepernick. Development number three. And... When the Patriots traded Jimmy Garoppolo on Monday night, I thought for a second, maybe they're going to sign Colin Kaepernick. Because, look, their fans are loyal. Now, I know the fans weren't happy when there was some kneeling by the Patriots at the Week 3 game. But the fans are loyal. The fans want to win. And if Tom Brady gets injured, those fans have seen what Colin Kaepernick can do because he came to Gillette Stadium and did it to them in 2012. He's played them twice. He's played them well twice. And I thought, hey, maybe this is what they're going to do. Well, it turns out they want Brian Hoyer, and they have Brian Hoyer. And it worked out very conveniently, to the point where the NFL should wonder, maybe this was a term of the trade that wasn't actually part of the trade. And we know the league office from time to time likes to pursue the Patriots for actual or perceived violations of the rules. Nevertheless, that's not what this is about. This is about the Packers trying to sign Brian Hoyer before the Patriots could. Well, wait a minute. I thought the Packers were committed to Brett Hundley and John O'Hallahan, Callahan, Houlihan, whatever his name is, from the Division Three school, whose name I can't even remember. Wesley? So, remember when McCarthy got upset with the question about Kaepernick? Fired back, lashed out? Didn't you just listen to what I just said? They tried to get Brian Hoyer. So, I, I mean, we got to call it what it is. Shocker, football coaches lie sometimes. He lied. And here's the thing. Here's what amazes me. This is the moment where I said, okay, I have to address this topic on PFTPM today because consider what Colin Kaepernick has done against the Packers. And the Packers know what he can do because they have seen him do it to them. 
the 2012 postseason. He rushed for a postseason record 181 yards against the Green Bay Packers. 45-31 San Francisco win. 263 yards passing and 181 yards rushing. Then, in the next game for the Packers, week one of the 2013 season, they loaded up against the run and Kaepernick had 412 passing yards in a 34-28 win. And then, 2013 postseason, one of the coldest games ever at Lambeau Field. Ice Bowl Part 2. Kaepernick and the 49ers went in there and won. 227 passing yards and 98 rushing yards. So the Packers have seen what Kaepernick can do, and they weren't interested. They were interested in Hoyer. Hoyer has played one game against the Packers during his career. October 20 of 2016, a Thursday night game. During the game, Hoyer suffered a broken arm and was done for the year. Before he left, here's what he did. 4 for 11, that's 36.4% completion percentage, for 49 yards. That's 4.5 yards per throw, which is not good. 7 is the threshold for good. 50.9 passer rating. And he has a record of 16-21 and 21 as a starter. And remember the whole football-only argument about Kaepernick? Oh, he stunk last year as a starter. Hoyer's 0-6 this year with the 49ers. 0-6. So between McCarron, Osweiler, and Hoyer, Colin Kaepernick's collusion case has gotten stronger. The circumstantial evidence of something going on has gotten stronger. Ultimately, the proof is going to come on cell phone devices, text messages, emails, and aggressive cross-examination of owners and executives and other employees by Mark Garrigus. And one of the reasons they did the CBA process, the grievance under the collective bargaining agreement, was because it will move quickly, and I'm still waiting for it to move. It was filed October 15. It's now November 1. That's not that long in the grand scheme of things. I mean, really, when you file a lawsuit, if they had filed the lawsuit and served it on October the 15th, the NFL wouldn't even have to respond in writing for the initial time until at least November 15th. So we're still very, very early in this process. But this has the potential to get very interesting. And a deal-making commissioner like a Paul Tagliabue, as I've said before, and let me say it one more time before we go, Tagliabue, who was the commissioner of the NFL when ProFootballTalk.com was founded November 1 of 2001, commissioner from 1990 through 2006. Tagliabue would have gone to an owner and said, how'd you like to host the draft in 2019? Oh, I'd love to host the draft. What do I have to do? I have to fill out some paperwork? Have to make a bid? Yeah, you have to do that. Before we get to that, you got to do me a favor. You got to sign Colin Kaepernick. Because we got a problem here. And we got to make the problem go away. And Mark Aragus has made it clear multiple times now. You give Colin Kaepernick a job, this collusion thing most likely goes away. So, this is a point where billionaires who are very used to getting their way billionaires who are used to hunkering down and fighting, a league office that is used to drawing battle lines and fighting. Somebody needs to look at this like they didn't look at the anthem controversy and project how it could go poorly. Somebody needs to look at this and say, this could be a damn mess. This could get bad. Once some of these people who we know what's going to happen when they get under oath, because we've seen them get under oath in the past and get chewed up, this is going to be bad. And, boy, you know, we found some good evidence on the Patriots' cell phones about Deflategate. Boy, I wonder what evidence is lurking on the phones of assistant GMs and pro personnel directors and scouts and assistant coaches about, you know, an understanding 
that no one was touching Kaepernick because we all collectively fear a tweet from Donald Trump. They'd be very wise to get this fixed. They'd be very wise to sign Colin Kaepernick and deal with whatever happens. They've dealt with plenty already. It's only going to get worse if they hunker down. And the worst case scenario is the possible cancellation prematurely of the collective bargaining agreement, which is something that Colin Kaepernick would like to do. So we'll see where that all goes. We'll do another edition of PFTPM on Friday. I I know we did Thursday last week. Oh, let's do another Thursday one. I can't. We'll do it Friday. Get you ready for week nine. It's already week nine of the regular season. Hard to believe, but true. And uh, we will try to get you uh, another guest or two. We'll do what we can. Try to make this entertaining. As I say every day, if you're still listening, you like it. So support it. Subscribe, rate, review, lather, rinse, repeat. Thanks for some of your time. We'll do it again on Friday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.